we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. So buckle up. You guys ready? Um, have you ever been in a situation where you miss a crucial piece of information? Like there's a detail that you need to know, and that is like super important. Uh, the other night, um, about like a week ago, I'm out with some friends and my wife, and we're celebrating our two friends because it's their birthday. And uh, these two friends of mine share the exact same birthday. They were born on the same day in the exact same year. They're basically twins, you know, separated at birth. Not really, but you get the idea. They're born on the same day. So we're celebrating these two on the same day, and uh, we end up at a bowling alley. Now, I haven't been bowling for somebody's birthday since I was like 12 years old, okay? I'm assuming that's probably the same for you, but we're at the bowling alley and um, we're terrible. Like we're absolutely horrible. And I'm like, my, my wife is like decent, right? Like she, I think she got like one strike. I got none, zero. We're terrible, okay? And, and, and it kind of made it like more fun, right? Like we're not the like kind of friends that you need to be like cool or whatever. Like we just like to have fun. And it was like way more fun that we're all terrible because we're throwing gutter balls and like laughing at each other and people are making TikToks. And it was a total blast. And after two rounds of absolute humiliation, uh, we're done bowling. And uh, everyone's taking off their clunky bowling shoes, as cool as those are. I'm sure they're making a comeback. And uh, as everyone's sh- switching out of their shoes, I decide to go to the bathroom before we head out to the restaurant that we're going to after. And uh, I go to the bathroom, I'm finishing up, and then um, I'm at the, the sink washing my hands. And all of a sudden, I see from the corner of my eye a stall door swing open. I look in the mirror, and there's my friend Ashley. And I'm like, this is interesting, Ashley. And, and we make eye contact in the mirror. She's like behind me. And I turn around and I say, Ashley, what are you doing? And she says the same thing to me. She's like, Dan, what are you doing? And I'm like, Ashley, this is the guy's bathroom. I literally was like, oh my gosh, am I in the girl's bathroom? I, I, this was my thought. I was like, oh my gosh, the girl's bathroom has urinals. This is amazing. This is so progressive, so cool. Women can pee now standing up. This is awesome. But I think for a second and I'm like, Ashley, this is the guy's bathroom. What are you doing in here, right? Like this is one of these moments where a crucial piece of information makes all of the difference. And we just start like laughing at each other, the fact that like, we're in this situation. And we walk out of the bathroom. All of our friends have, have finished taking off their bowling shoes and they're all just circled right in front of the entrance to the bathroom. And they start dying laughing at us as we both b- walk out of the men's bathroom. And they're like pointing at us. They're like, you know, talking and everyone's like kind of making a scene and we're like totally humiliated. And this was a crucial piece of information that Ashley should have got. I mean, the men's sign to the men's bathroom was right there in front of the door. Now in tonight's passage, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and there's a piece of information that is crucial for them to get. There's a piece of information here in this passage that Paul is going to hammer home for three chapters. He wants to make sure that they don't miss this detail because according to Paul, this is how they're going to live an empowered life. This is how they're going to live as a new humanity in Ephesus, a new humanity in the world. And so Paul writes to them in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and he says, Do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled or be continually filled with the Spirit. Be filled 
with the Spirit. Now, when Paul says be filled with the Spirit, he's using a word that means to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's as if what Paul is saying is be filled, continue to be filled, go on getting filled, and when you're full, go get filled some more. Okay, this is probably like your grandma's advice to you. If like you go down like to, to California to Golden Corral or something like that, they're like, just like go eat more food, right? This is what Paul's, his advice is to the church at Ephesus. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw a few weeks ago that Paul writes to them in Ephesians chapter one, that they are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of their redemption. See, the Holy Spirit isn't leaving them. They have the Holy Spirit. It's who they are. They're adopted. They've been given the spirit of sonship by which they cry, Abba, Father. But here, Paul writes to them again, be continually filled. Because that first time experience, that, that experience when they were sealed with the Holy Spirit, according to Paul, was good. It is sufficient. But he's saying, get some more. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, you know what, Dan, like, man, you seem like this like crazy Holy Spirit guy, right? I'm just like, I don't know. I'm not really into that. This is kind of new to me. Why do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I've already got the Spirit. Why do I need to be filled again and again and again? What is Paul getting at here? Well, I think we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually and moment by moment because according to Paul, the Spirit can be quenched. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up on the East Coast on an island. So I, I grew up, you know, as a kid on the beach a lot. You'd see me like running away from my parents, like butt naked down the, like the beach. Like that's how I grew up. And um, there's this one time where my parents uh, left me and my sisters and a few of our friends. We're like nine years old. We're sitting around a campfire. They set it up for us. You know, we're making s'mores, hanging out. My parents leave us. They go, to, go up to the house, which is just like up the lane. And they leave us at this fire. And I'm like, this is our shot, guys. All right? Like, I'm like, like rallying the crowd. This is our shot, guys. We can burn whatever we want. So let's make this fire incredible. Like, I'm like a miniature, like, pyromaniac. I'm like, let's make this huge. And so I'm like, okay, let's all, like, spread around the beach and see what we can find to burn. Okay? So we're looking for, like, wood and, like, gasoline or explosives or, like, literally anything that we could find. Right? We find nothing. And, and we're looking at the beach, and I'm like, you know what? Everything burns, like literally everything that I have ever tried to let it set on fire has like set on fire. So let's just burn the sand, okay? And so I'm like, okay, everyone, here's the game plan, right? We like huddle up, I'm like, let's throw as much sand into the fire as we possibly can. It's gonna be great, it's gonna work awesome. Okay, I wasn't really smart as a kid, okay? So uh, we just start like shoveling as much sand onto this fire as we possibly can. We're like machines. And the, the, the faster the fire goes out, the more we just throw more sand at it. And eventually my parents come back and they're like, what the heck happened? We're just like sitting there, like we're like covered in dirt, you know, covered in sand. The fire is out. Everything that's left is like smoldering ashes and smoke. And in that moment, I probably look like a giant idiot. My plan miserably failed. And when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit can be quenched, this is the picture This is the mental image that Paul wants to burn into the minds of the church of Ephesus when he says the spirit of God can be quenched. It's as if the spirit of God is a fire that can be put out. It is a fire that can be smoldered, covered, or put out. Does that make sense? Paul is saying that we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can lose our fire. We can lose our passion, our intimacy, our closeness with God. And and according to Paul, we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit because we can quench the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is going to do in Ephesians chapter four, he's going to give us three examples of ways that we can quench the Holy Spirit of God. And the first one is found in your Bible in Ephesians chapter four, 
verse 19. And it says that we can lose sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. He's speaking that that they have lost sensitivity, meaning it's difficult to feel God's nudges. It is difficult or, or less frequent to hear God's voice. You don't feel God's presence anymore. You're not convicted by your sin anymore. You've lost sensitivity. And the scary thing, Village Church, is that we can say no to the Holy Spirit enough times that we lose sensitivity to his conviction. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you say, Dan, I'm not convicted like I used to be. I'm not on fire like I used to be. I don't feel as close to God as I used to be. I've lost sensitivity. It's like when you like, you wake up in the morning or you like take it like a four hour nap like me and uh, you wake up and you're like, dear God, my like, my arm, I, I can't feel it. What's going on? I must've had a stroke or something. And you're like, okay, actually just calm down, have a cup of coffee or something like that. And my arm's just falling asleep. Okay. But I'm having like a panic attack. Right. Um, or like a few weeks ago, um, I go to the dentist first time in like seven years. Okay. Uh, lots of dental work to do. Like I've been there like every single week. And, um, I have some cavities, okay? I'm like embarrassed to admit this, but I brush brush and floss frequently. Um, But I have some cavities, and so I go to the dentist, and uh, they got to fill some stuff, okay? So I have like seven. Uh, So they got to do a lot of work, okay? The bill was very large. Um, So I'm at the dentist, and the, the, the dentist is just like putting needle after needle after needle of like stuff to, to make my, my, my mouth numb. I literally couldn't feel my tongue. And I'm so brilliant. Like, I'm like, okay, here's how to be really successful. Jam pack your schedule totally full wall to wall with meetings. So I'm at the dentist. I'm getting work done. But immediately after, I've scheduled a lunch meeting. Great idea, as you do, right? And uh, so I go to this lunch meeting. It was actually a really <laughs> important meeting. And uh, I'm at this lunch meeting. And uh, I'm trying to eat a poke bowl. But I can't I can't eat. There's literally food falling onto the table, falling out of my mouth, and I look like, you know, like a crazy person. I lost sensitivity. I was numb. I couldn't feel a thing. And some of us have lost sensitivity. Some of us, we can't feel God's presence anymore. And the crazy thing is, is it doesn't bother us. We've become apathetic We can't remember the last time we even thought to read the Bible, let alone the last time we wanted to read the Bible. We've lost sensitivity. And that is is where some of us are at. And God writes to us, Paul writes to us and says, you have quenched the Holy Spirit because you've lost sensitivity. And the second way that we can quench the Holy Spirit is found in verse 27. It says that we can quench the Holy Spirit by giving the devil a foothold. And maybe you're like, Dan, like, the devil really? Like, it's 2022, this is so outdated. Uh, a foothold is a military term. It, it literally means a point of access where the enemy can get in and gain a place of power. It, it's an entry point into your life. And some of us have given the devil an entry point, an access point into our life to gain power over us. We have allowed the enemy to gain access into our life through sin and we've opened ourselves up to him entering our life. And Paul says, do not give the devil a foothold. So my wife, she's amazing. She's here. Um, I'm not going to make her stand up or wave or anything like that. But uh, my wife has uh, her own snacks, okay? She has these snacks that I'm not allowed to have, okay? They're way cooler than mine. They have better branding. They taste better, you know? They're like gluten-free or whatever. 
And uh, I'm not allowed to have these, okay? So uh, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not married yet, okay, like get ready, prepare, okay? Bunker down, get your own stack, you know? But I'm not allowed to have these snacks. And my wife knows if she leaves them out, I'm going to try them, okay? And if I try them, I'll eat the whole thing, okay? Because they're that good. And so my wife has taken all of these snacks, and there's tons of them, and she's like hidden them all around the house, okay? So I'll be like looking for my socks in the morning. I'll open it up, and bam, there's like, you know, these like vegan Skittles or something like that. Or I'll be like looking for my keys and I'll like rummaging through a bin and there's like some like specialty like popcorn or whatever. And my wife has to do this because she knows that if I find them, I will have access and I will devour them. This is what it means to have a foothold, a place of access where you can come in and devour and conquer your opponent. And some of us have just opened ourselves up. We've gone lazy. We've gotten apathetic. We've gotten distant from God. And Paul says that we've given the enemy a foothold into our life. And it's not the crazy things. It's not like smoking crack and doing crazy wild things. Paul's the closest thing that Paul says in 2 verse 27 is things like anger, jealousy, laziness. And Paul is writing to us and he's saying these things can be a gateway where they open ourselves up to the enemy, the one who's come to rob, steal, and destroy. So he says to us in Ephesians 4:27, do not give the devil a foothold. Why? Because it quenches the spirit of God. It puts out the fire. It puts out the flame. It's like water on the the fire of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, this has quenched the Holy Spirit. So he says that we can can, um, give the devil a foothold, but then he says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It says in verse three that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, being grieved is something that only a person can experience. And I know this goes without saying, but the Holy Spirit is not a power, is not a thing, is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit is the very God we worship. It's the very God that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. It's the very God who created the world. It's the very God who came to rescue humanity. His name is the Holy Spirit. And we worship him. And he's a person. And a person can be grieved. You know, there's things that I can do that will put distance between relationships that I have, friendships that I have, uh, even like with my wife, right? I'm just gonna pull things out of thin air here. None of these would actually happen. Drink to that. Uh, but if I were to like, let's say, like I, I take a shower and I leave my like clothes on the, the, the bathroom floor, right? And I go to work or maybe I make some coffee and I leave like a bunch of like stuff out. I leave my coffee mug and everything like that. And I just go to work and everything's just kind of like a disaster. This never happens. And if I were to do that, this would probably cause like distance in my relationship. It would probably grieve my wife. She'd be like, you're so annoying. What are you doing? Clean your stuff up, right? You're a 29 year old man, get it together. There are things that we can do. And even on a more serious note, we can lie to people. I, I, I could betray my wife. I could go behind her back. I could do some things that cause serious damage. And Paul is saying that we can do some things that cause damage in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is a relationship that you have. And so you can cause distance. You can do some things that cause the Holy Spirit to grieve. There's things that grieve the heart of God that you and I are so chill about the very things that Jesus hung on the cross and died for and cried out to to the Father, Father, forgive them. These are the very things that grieve the heart of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says 
that these things, when we give the enemy access, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we quench the Spirit of God. We put out the fire. And so Paul's writing to these Ephesians who've given the enemy access, who've quenched the Spirit, who've grieved the Spirit. He writes to them and he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, you've got to understand that the words of God toward you are not condemnation and judgment and wrath. It is rather words of invitation. Come and be filled. Come. I've got what you lo- you're looking for. It's the same words of Jesus. If anyone thirst, come to me and drink, and out of them will flow rivers of living water. See, when we sin, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, when we quench the Spirit, God's words to us is not condemnation, but invitation. And he's inviting us to be filled again and again and again. And so Village Church, we need to be Spirit-filled people. And now what Paul is going to do, it's really strange, but what Paul is going to do is he's going to give us three examples of what it looks like to be Spirit-filled in Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what it says. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now in the Greek, This is one long strain of thought. This is actually one long run-on sentence. In your Bible, maybe there's like a a break in the paragraph or a break in the thought. There isn't in the Greek language. This is one cohesive thought. Be filled with the Spirit. And what being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like is speaking, singing, and submitting to one another. What does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It looks like to be a Spirit-filled people, to speak to one another, to sing to one another, and to submit to one another. I want to talk about the submit piece just for a moment. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why does he say that? What does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, what Paul is saying is we need to be united. We cannot be divided. This is what spirit-filled people look like. They look like a unified people. And we need to be united because the devil knows that a divided house cannot stand. And if he can get in and cause division in the church and make us look just like the world, then he can do a lot of damage. He can get in and get a foothold. He can get in and do damage. If if the enemy can come in and get us to try to rule over one another and try to be against one another and try, try to get us to think that our enemy is flesh and blood, it's the person sitting next to you, it's that person, they're the problem. And Paul writes to us in Ephesians 6 and he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not our enemies. We have a real enemy. And Paul says in Ephesians 6, that is a spiritual enemy, the the principalities and powers of darkness. And so what the enemy wants you to think is that you or that person or that person on that side of the issue is your enemy. Because as long as he gets you to think that they are your enemy, then he'll never get you to, to fight against him. And he is our true enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle and fight as the world fights. And listen to me, if there is ever a moment where we need to be united, it is now. In a generation where there's political, social, and and all kinds of divide in the world, we need to be a people who are united. Because Paul says a united people is what spirit-filled people look like. And what Paul is about to do is culturally shocking. It's revolutionary. What he's doing here 
is he's about to borrow Greco-Roman household codes. And Greco-Roman household codes were these written instructions for the men of the house to rule and dominate over the people in their house. And what Paul is about to do, and I don't want you to miss this, what Paul is about to do is to subvert the underlying thesis of these codes, which is that men are superior to women, slaves, and children. And Paul is about to flip that on its head and say, not if you're a spiritual person. This is not what it looks like to be spirit-filled. We are united. And so Paul says that we are different. And so what he's doing is he starts by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Craig Keener, a brilliant scholar, says, although it was customary to call wives, children, and slaves to submit in various ways, to call all members of the group to submit to one another was unheard of. And notice, and get this, Paul addresses women, slaves, and children first, not the men. And you would never do that in that day. You would always address the man first. In fact, most of the household codes never address any other person than the man directly. And Paul is saying, I want to speak to the women, to the children, and to the slaves, because to God, these are important people. And so he says in in chapter 5, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. Submit to your own husbands. In other words, be devoted to him and him alone. See, this is not about obedience. This is not about patriarchy. This is not about gender roles. There is sexual difference. We celebrate that. We celebrate women and we celebrate men. But this is not about gender roles. This is about mutual submission. Let me prove it to you really quickly. The word submit in the Greek isn't even in this verse. End of conversation. The Greek word for submit is borrowed from verse 21, where it says submit to one another. It's not in verse 22. Paul is saying that we are called to submit to one another. And what it looks like is wives submitting to their husbands and husbands submitting to their wives. This is what spirit-filled relationships look like, being united together. In fact, Paul takes it a step further and he calls men to serve and love their wives. He describes this in, in chapters 26 to 29 where he says, Love your wives by washing, ironing, cleaning, And he's using all of these domestic terms to describe the way that a man is to love his wife. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because these were the culturally subordinate roles. And he's saying, I want you men, husbands, to take the culturally subordinate, be culturally subversive, and love your wives in a different way. That the culture will look and be like, what's different? That person must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because men rule over their wives. Men look down at their wives. They control their wives, but not spirit-filled people. Spirit-filled people are united. We're called to be different by serving and loving one another, by being united. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, in those days, this this is really popular in Ephesus. Children were looked down on. Women, children, and slaves were at the bottom of society, at the bottom of the social ladder. And children were seen to be liabilities. In fact, children, if they were unwanted, if they were the wrong gender, or if they had a disability, these children could be after birth, months after birth, could be taken out, thrown into a a trash heap, and left there to be exposed to the elements and die. This is how children were viewed in that day. They were liabilities. And in this context, Paul writes and says, fathers, I want you to love and care for your children. See, we need to, if we are spirit-filled people, we need to care about the weak and the overlooked in our society. We need to be united because God cares about the weak in our society. God cares about the overlooked in our society. And we should as well if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And then last, Paul addresses slaves. He says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Don't miss this. Paul says that slaves are equals to their masters. And he goes so far as to command that they be treated like it. He says, God shows no favoritism and he is your master. So you better not show uh, favoritism either because this is what spirit-filled people look like. They're united. Listen, spirit-filled people serve, value, and uplift one another. Spirit-filled people are united. And here's the point. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you treat people differently. You become different. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Village Young Adults, we're living in a generation where the gospel can be reduced to your truth. We're living in a generation where truth is relative in a postmodern world. And people might, might respond to us and say, that's great if Jesus works for you, but that's not my truth. And truth is seen as relative and can be rejected. And so if we are going to call people to follow Jesus, it cannot be by information alone. We need demonstrations of the gospel's power. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So how do we become filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, before I say that, John Stott once said, what we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but what we need is more power from the Holy Spirit. So how do we get it? How do we get more of the Spirit? How do I get more of the person of God in my life? How do I get more of the presence, the passion, the power of God in my life? The fire has gone out. I've grieved the Spirit. I've lost sensitivity. How do I get more of the Holy Spirit? You need to wait. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit. Now this Sunday, I don't know if, if, if you're charismatic and you've got your flags here, uh, this Sunday is Pentecost. So if you're Pentecostal, welcome. We're glad you're here. And uh, just save your flags till, till Sunday. Um, we're glad you're here. And the tram, uh, tambourines. Um, but what happens is, is Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 is, is having dinner with the disciples. And he says this. On one occasion, while he's eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. If you have have a pen, underline that, circle it, highlight it. But wait for the gift my father promised, which is the Holy Spirit, which you've heard me speak about. Jesus' command to the disciples who are about to receive the Holy Spirit, their command is to wait for the Holy Spirit. We don't need to hype him up. We don't need to get all excited and like try to like work the Holy Spirit up in the room. We simply need to wait for the Holy Spirit. In fact, we read about this in Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from the heavens and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages as the Spirit enabled. What did they do? They waited. What did they do while they were waiting? They prayed. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit. They waited for the Holy Spirit. Now, many of you are probably familiar with Billy Graham. Ever heard of him? Okay, a great evangelist in the previous generation. Preached thousands of sermons and hundreds of thousands of people across America and different countries came to Christ as he did crusades all across the world. 
What you might not know about Billy Graham is he wasn't always a famous or great preacher. He had an experience that defined everything for him. See, in 1946, he visited the UK and he heard this message that a pastor gave on Ephesians 5.19 that says, do not be drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. And Billy Graham sat in that sermon at the back of the room and he began to weep and he put his, his hands, in, his face into his hands and he began to weep before God. And he found the preacher at the end of that message. He said, why didn't you do an invitation to come forward? Because I would have been the first one at the altar. And he said, I need what you're talking about. I long for the, for the power and the presence of God like you described. And so Billy Graham asked the pastor if he would meet with him the following day. And so the following day, Billy Graham and his pastor sat in a hotel room and they began to cry out to God. They began to pray and ask God to anoint Billy Graham, to anoint his preaching, to fill him with the Holy Spirit. And that night, Billy Graham went to a church service he was preaching at. And he preached a sermon. There was hundreds of people there. It was a very normal sermon. It was a very normal response. Not much happened. A few people came forward, gave their lives to Christ, and Billy Graham celebrated that. But he wanted power. He wanted the power in the presence of God. So he asked the preacher, he called him up again. He said, would you come and pray with me again tomorrow? And they sat there in that room for the entire next day and they begged God, God, would you send the anointing? God, would you send the spirit? God, would you send the water that you promised to pour out in the wasteland? And they began to cry out to God for hours and hours. And all of a sudden, something happened in that ho hotel room where Billy Graham began to la laugh uncontrollably. He was filled with the joy of the Lord. And he got up and he began to say, I've got it. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've got it. I'm so full of God's Spirit. And Billy Graham went to a small Welsh church that night and the place was packed. And he began to preach and everyone there noticed that there was something powerful resting on Billy Graham. And as Billy Graham was preaching, the power of God fell on that place and people began to flood the altar as he was midway through his sermon. He even did an invitation and people were flocking to the front of that room. It was crowded, it was chaotic, it was insane. He had never seen anything like it in his entire life. People just kept coming forward and repenting of sin and giving their lives to Jesus and committing themselves to the Lord and the power of God fell on that place. And the pastor who prayed with Billy Graham went home that night. And his father opened the door and he noticed that his face looked so different and he said, my God, what happened? And he sat there at the, the dinner table with his father and he said, something happened to Billy Graham and he will never be the same. The nations will know of Billy Graham because he will have his mark on this generation. Something happened in a hotel room where Billy Graham just waited on the Holy Spirit to come and fill him. He just cried out, God, would you fill me? Would you pour out your spirit? It's what happened in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 19, over and over and over all the way throughout history. We see that the people of God coming before God and say, send your spirit, send your fire, send your presence. And God pours out his Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of us have quenched the Holy Spirit. We've grown, we've grown cold. We've lost sensitivity. We're not convicted by our sin anymore. And Paul writes to us, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. We need to be filled with his presence afresh. 
so the way historically people have received the Holy Spirit is they've waited on God. And it's always, almost always in the context of community where somebody comes and lays their hand on someone and they say, receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Imagine the Spirit of God comes on that place in such a powerful way that the place shakes. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God boldly. In Acts chapter 8, verse 17, it says, Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking at a young adults retreat for another church. We're on the island, I'm preaching this sermon on the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the sermon, I give this invitation for people to come forward and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's this young guy who comes forward and he says, you know, Dan, I've been coming to uh, camps like this my whole life. I've gone to kids camp and youth camp. I go to church every Sunday and I see people come forward and they have these drastic experiences with God. And he looks me dead in the eyes and he says, I want that. That was a lot of pressure for me. So I began like saying, okay, listen, like we all experience God in different ways. Some people like experience like God emotionally and some people are intellectual and they experience God. Like I was literally just trying to like talk him down off the edge. Right? I was trying to lower his expectations if I'm honest with you. It wasn't one of my highest moments. And so I begin to pray for him and I simply lay my hand on him and I begin to wait. And I just ask the question I, I, I usually ask when I'm praying for somebody, God, what do you want to say or do in this moment? And I got nothing, literally nothing. And I kept waiting and for like a really long period of time. I said, God, what do you want to say? What do you want to do in this moment? And I, as I'm waiting, God began to speak to me and nudge in my heart, ask him if there's anything that he needs to lay down. And so I ask him, hey, I know this sounds weird, but I just feel like God's saying, I could be wrong. I feel like God's saying, there's something that you need to lay down. And he looks up, he opens his eyes and he said, I knew that you were going to say that. As soon as you started praying for me, God started speaking to me about the fact that I needed to stop doing drugs. He says, you see, like, I do drugs, you know, on the re regular basis with my friends, and we have these spiritual experiences. We listen to worship music. We get all drugged out, and we have these experiences. I'm like, bro, that's not the Holy Spirit. Those are deceiving spirits. That's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is holy. Over a hundred times in the New Testament, the, whole, the Spirit is described as holy. I was like, bro, that's not the Holy Spirit. He's like, I know. He's like, I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to, I feel trapped. So I began praying for him and I, and I just started asking God to remove this desire to set my brother free. And all of a sudden, his sister on the other side of the room is getting prayed for and she receives a prophetic word and she walks over and she lays her hand on him. And all of a sudden, he starts to shake violently and weep. And at this point, I'm just like an innocent bystander. Like, I have nothing to do with this. My faith is like down here. And this guy begins to shake and weep and cry out. And he's moving and shaking in an uncontrollable way. And his sister just begins to pray over him. Yes, more Holy Spirit. Deliver him more, God. Yes, more of you, Holy Spirit. And after a while that he's crying and shaking, he looks up with me and he says, Dan, I'm filled with so much joy. I feel so joyful. I've never felt this way in my life. And he was overcome with the Holy Spirit. And he says, I feel totally free. And he didn't have language for it, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
See, in his life, he was grieving the Holy Spirit. Paul says, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He needed to realize that there is something that he's longing for. There was something that he was seeking in the experience of drugs that he can only be satisfied in the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was immersed with the Holy Spirit. And God is crying out to you right now in this room saying, I want to fill you. In every single one of the gospels, Jesus says that he will come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. He uses the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse, which means God is not satisfied with you having a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be baptized in his presence. He wants you to be soaked in his presence. He wants you to be full, to overflowing with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God's desire for you. So he says continually, don't miss this, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the crucial detail that we cannot miss. God's heart is that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you could love the vulnerable, so that you could love your enemy, so that you could be a witness. Acts 1.8 says that we have been given the Spirit of God so that we can be empowered to be witnesses. Being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't for a show. It's not so that we get the heebie-jeebies and we get like some goosebumps, we are get filled with the Holy Spirit because God wants to transform your life and he wants to use you. And so he's inviting you, come and receive the Holy Spirit. Don't miss this. And so maybe you're here tonight and you, you say, Dan, I've grieved the Holy Spirit this last season. I've lost sensitivity. I don't feel God like I used to. I don't, I don't hear his voice. I don't feel convicted by sin. I feel like the fire has gone out in my life. Come and receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus. This is all new to you. And the Spirit of God has been working on you in this sermon and saying, come and be my daughter. Come and be my son. I died for your sins. I rose again. I'm just inviting you to come and receive the Spirit of God. If that's you, come.